Welcome to Unmade, I'm Tim Burrows. My guest today is Luke Gerges, the CEO of Bragg Media. Luke, welcome along. Now, the, the reason for chatting this week is you've just picked up the Australian franchise of the very storied business title, Variety, and we will talk about that in a minute. But firstly, I'd love to just talk a bit about the story of Bragg Media, because it feels like in a very short time, you've gone very fast. Um, how do you tell the story so far? Well, before that, Tim, I just want to give you a bit of credit for Unmade. Like, how long have you been doing Unmade for? Unmade, we started back in September properly. So I guess that's about pretty much nine months. Crazy. Like, I'm so impressed with how you've built <laughs> built it in nine months. It's actually incredible. It's the thing that I read every time it hits my inbox. So huge credit to you. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. Um. Bragg Media started in 2017 um, and was actually an idea that I had when I worked at a record company because I saw how much money, how much of our marketing budget we were spending on publishers promoting records. And I thought, these publishers are kind of underperforming and I wonder how much it would cost to actually just buy them and run them ourselves, maybe turn them profitable and then have this asset that is profitable on its own, but it also allows us to market our artists through for free. Um, and I kind of did some maths and we could buy one or two of them at kind of two years, our marketing budget. And I thought, this feels like a no-brainer. Maybe I'm stupid. So I put together a business plan, worked on it for about three months, took it to my boss. She told me to get fucked and I did um, and, <laughs> and, 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 and met my co-founder, Sam Benjamin. Um, we looked at a lot of things. Like we even looked at starting festivals, running management businesses, running a record label. We looked at a whole bunch of these things, but ultimately we thought, we want to do it all. Um, you know, the Bragg Media's mission is to be ubiquitous with Australians with Australian culture, be the center of culture. So, if we want to live to that mission, we need to do it all. We need to be running events. We need to be running record companies. We need to be managing talent. We need to be doing all these things. And if we have a thriving publishing business at the center of all of that, it's going to make all of those other plays a lot more fruitful. And that's what we started with. We started with the publishing business. Now that's really interesting because I I presume from that by coming at it from that direction would be different to someone coming from a more traditional publishing background who would probably start with you know okay display advertising what revenue can we bring from that paid audience you know what 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 where can we bring from that whereas I presume you're thinking much more, I, I guess, laterally around, I guess, what people would loosely call content marketing budgets and that sort of thing. So so I imagine your kind of revenue streams probably look quite different to the traditional. Yeah, that's certainly um, what I've learned. Um, I didn't kind of know that coming into it. When I first started, I remember um, day one, Poppy Reid, our editor-in-chief, I remember her, like I remember going, wait, what's the difference between editing and sub-editing? Like I didn't know anything. Um, and so we built this what business which, you know, um, appears to be relatively speaking super diversified in, in publishing and media um, with it. And it's really defensible as well. Um, I feel like it'd be very hard to come in and compete with what we've built. And, um, and yeah, we certainly survived COVID, which is a huge win. Even just surviving, it's great. But we've actually grew 200% year on year in revenue. So um, that all um, seemed to have been possible because of maybe my ignorance in publishing and I didn't go that traditional route. But it wasn't like, you know, I, I don't feel like a genius for it. I just didn't know any different. <laughs> Look, honestly, when you try something new in publishing, 
not being aware that a, that the world would consider it a bad idea is sometimes quite a, a a big advantage. I know I've I've discovered in the past sometimes. So where where are you at now in terms of scale? Um, I know it's not the ultimate measure, particularly when you use freelancers. But what what's your current kind of staff number, for instance? Uh, I think full time we have about twenty five. Um, but a lot of casuals and a lot of freelancers. That's a probably a question for Poppy Reed and Joel King. Um. But yeah, it feels about twenty-five, I think. So I'm guessing you must have a turnover of what sort of four or five million or something like that. Uh, I don't know if Sam Benjamin, my co-founder, wants me to disclose that, but it's it's well more than that. It's a lot more than that. Right. Okay. Well, you yeah. can't blame me for having a little guess as well. Oh, I would have. I would have had a swing too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, look. Let's let's talk about um, variety, which is the latest member of the stable and this is this is interesting because variety as 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 we would think of it from uh the us is um i guess it's it's sweet spot was was as of the screen industry and of hollywood uh so it's a it's a sort of new or the very least kind of uh, uh, peripheral addition for you because up to now i guess your 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 center spot although general entertainment has been around the music industry. So um, why does variety make sense? So you're right in that we, we're kind of famous for our music. Um, that's how we started. Uh, but it's certainly not where we're at now. So we we have a huge gaming network as well. Um, and it kind of makes the variety launch makes sense when you understand that sort of mission statement to be ubiquitous with Australian culture we want to be everywhere Australians' passion points are. We identified that music was the number one interest for Australians, so that's where we started. Um, also helps that I'm a music nut and have been in, in the music industry for 15 years. But we started with music. That's what we were experts in. Then we've expanded out into gaming, and we have a really strong gaming network with the acquisition of Epic Digital. Um, and we've also got fashion now with Hype Beast. Um, and... And so the next the next frontier is is screen. Um, it is film, and we've been repping variety for about a year now. Just you know, monetizing the Australian traffic. You might need to fact check me on this. I've got to get the exact numbers, but it's 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 about a million Australians already read variety um, every month. I think it might be eight hundred thousand, something like that. I'll, I'll I should have checked before we got on this call, but um, a lot of Australians read it already, um, and we've seen a lot of. Um, success commercially with the variety brand without us even publishing one story. So um, the uh, the adding variety, adding screen to our stable, when you think about what our mission is and the commercial success we've already had with that brand um, doesn't seem as left field as I think it's maybe internally as it might seem externally. externally. Yeah, and, and something I'd be interested to get your thoughts on is I when I think about this sector, I have slight post-traumatic stress disorder uh from earlier in my time when when i was one of the owners of of mumbrella we bought encore which was the uh australian version of of variety i suppose so even back in the day we actually repped variety ourselves for a while actually so we were always glad when they did their uh their australian edition in the kind of u.s version of hollywood and we got to sell in all those full page ads for the for the australian studios but something we found and we we i you know we we you know i i look back now and i i I would describe what we, the way we came to it, as slightly arrogant that we we felt we knew the communications industry quite well, and this felt like a bit of a parallel um, world that we, you know, we we wrote about 
certainly on-screen content already. And um, I just remember I got this sense that certainly the Australian screen industry was very, very clubby. And it felt like there was this real attitude of, well, who the hell are you? You've not been in the production sector for 20 years. So, you know, what are what are your kind of credentials for writing about and being of this world? And it and it felt like we, we, we never actually got to a point where we were particularly as, accepted as of that industry. Um, so I guess the question is... Um, uh, how are you get, how are you thinking about breaking into that world i think the industry when was that what year was all of that happening uh this would have been i mean long long before streaming so mm. you were talking uh, i'm going to guess about 2012 2013 something like that you know long enough ago that we were still in print yeah 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 so i think the industry's changed a lot since then um it's, it's only in terms of revenue like billion in production in Australia last year. It's just insane. Um, There's never been more money in Australia in this industry. Therefore, it's never been bigger. So potentially you might be right that it is very clubby. I mean, the music industry is enormous here and it is very clubby. But I think um, we're navigating that two ways. One, we are – I'm not going to be a variety writer, I can promise you. Um, We've got some real industry experts um, contributing and on staff and Jake, the B2B, um, our B2B trade editor is editing variety. And he's, he's been a passionate fan of this brand for as long as I've known him, which is about a decade. He always talks about variety and said one day he dreams to work with variety. And it's just so happened that he is now and it's, that's exciting. So we have, we have industry experts, um, working on it, but the market is just so different now, Tim, like back in the day, it's it was all you know very small industry in terms of like market cap and revenue and all of that so you know there is a lot more room for politics to disrupt things but when there's so much money being put into an industry and you know there are some great trade blogs out there and trade websites out there but there's nothing as iconic and as widely respected as variety in the australian market right now i mean in the world really it's the most respected you know, a screen publication in the world. So to bring that to Australia, I think with the where the industry is now versus when you guys were were, were representing it, um, we're just we're just very fortunate of timing. I think is the answer, um, and we're yes, very excited right. about that. And I suppose that's certainly true. You know, if there's one story of the screen industry over the last well, probably th- uh, thirty or forty years, has been. It, it, it feels like it's kind of feast or famine. You know, there were there were some amazing tax breaks for the screen industry in the 70s. Right now, of course, we're in this kind of golden period of production funding because um, there's so much streaming investment going on at the moment, which which feels like what's, what's driving the screen sector. Now, that argu- arguably over-investment in uh, streaming, is um is perhaps peaking now do you does the plan for variety work as well with a smaller industry if it turns out it's kind of you know it's moving to the other side of the cycle if it retracts yeah um look the thing that we learned with launching music publications and i think we're going to take a lot of lessons from that is that if we were relying on the music industry to fund our music titles we would have died like everybody else. Um, And so although it was true pre-COVID that 50% of our revenue came from the music industry, um, we have 
increased our revenue since then by you know over 200% as I mentioned before and now the music industry revenue that comes from the music industry on our music titles represents less than 5%. And that was always like our goal to get there. Um, we were just trying to figure out how to achieve it and we finally did and I think that is the lens that we are um, looking at with variety. We don't want to rely on the film industry or the screen industry to fund variety. Um, we want to we want to focus on servicing it now. If revenue comes from that industry, fantastic. But that is that is not going to be our um, how we live and die. And I presume that will be some of the tap dance as well as you referred to that you know maybe eight hundred thousand number that you're getting in terms of um, kind of visits. Now clearly the industry itself isn't that big, which suggests quite a big consumer audience landing you know landing there because hey, look, you know, it's a world they're interested in as, as consumers. But presumably your sales model will be about having an audience of industry insiders, people working within the industry. So how are you, how are you thinking about the sort of content you'll shoot for? Because presumably it'd be quite easy to just do, you know, here's the latest trailer for the latest Marvel movies just dropped and get some easy traffic. But that's not going to really f- get you guarding you that audience of insiders so how are you thinking about your focus on the editorial content yeah so primarily i mean variety has been around for 116 years servicing the screen industry and the professionals that live within it at the highest executive levels so there is a certain um type of content and certain level of detail and certain level of education and insight you need to provide to continue and engage those audience and that is unwavering But what I think has changed, and not changed actually, has been in addition to over the last maybe decade or so, is that um, Variety has started engaging the most passionate and diehard film fans and um, bringing them in in the tent as well. Um, And then slowly turning sort of like half-interested film fans into diehard film fans. And so you have this like highly passionate, consumer audience as well as the executive audience and we do need to run you know that's not the same content obviously um but you know there is also like there is content that you can run a piece of content that appeals to both audiences but then you also need to run um separate content lines that appeal to one and the other and that's something that we are um borrowing that strategy from the u.s to launch and um, we will evolve that strategy as we get more data and more learnings for the Australian market. And I take it that rather than just, you know, being fed by press releases, you'll look to break news. Um, what what sort of editorial resource are you putting behind that? Um, I really wish Jake, our editor, was on this call. So he's got, all, he's got the playbook um, at a high level. We've got three incredible writers plus Jake um, on on Variety and plot and and a contributing team. So I don't know how big that contributing team is and what the details of it are, but you know there is some there is a, there's a good team behind it, and we're definitely we're definitely going to launch with quality, not quantity. So you know you don't come to Variety for every like every time someone interesting kind of you know you know, sneezes or whatever. Um, that's not going to be our play. We're going we're gonna to really launch with quality first. And then as we learn and as we grow, so will the volume of content that we produce. And initially it's digital, but there are plans for there to be a print edition as well. Absolutely, yeah. We've had a lot of success with the Rolling Stone print mag, so we're, we're just going to take all the learnings from that. 
And um, do you, do you have a sense of uh, how many editions a year you would hope to put out of the print version? Going to keep that uh, sort of close to our chest for now. Um, not because I want to keep things a secret, but we're still deciding. <laughs> um, we we will we will most likely do our first edition this year. So if you look at Rolling Stone, um, just a bit of a clue on how we're thinking about things. We do four issues a year with Rolling Stone and one issue a year is our collector's edition. So first year we did the 50 greatest Australian artists of all time. The second year we did the 200 greatest albums of all time. Both of those issues outsold both in terms of advertisers and in terms of readers and then new subscribers, I would say by a factor of five at least. Again, I don't have the number on me, but it's just a massively outsized uh, return on those collector's editions. So it's that kind of learning and that kind of thinking that we're going to bring to Variety. And it's worth mentioning that Rolling Stone and Variety have the same owner in the US, which is where, you're, where you've done the franchise deal with. And that's why we have such confidence to keep investing with these guys because they're incredible. The PMC team in the US are an unbelievably um, professional and like awesome team to work with. They are just so passionate about our success. So it's just it's just so incredible. It's it's I've heard horror stories about you know JVing with international offices and licenses and whatever and all those kind of different versions um, many times. And I've just not experienced even a little bit of that with PMC. They're just an incredible company. And what is this one? Is it is it a, a straight franchise arrangement or is it a JV? Uh, it's structured as a license, but a thirty year one. Like it's very long with options to extend. So, um, yeah, we're, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> and you, you just share a, a portion of revenue, presumably, based on all of the activities of the brands. Yeah, so they, they have a bunch of obligations to us in terms of resource support, access, um, all of those things. And then we pay a percentage of our revenue back to them. Which it's a long time since I've done one of these deals, but back in the day, I seem to remember a number of like 8% or something. Is, is that still broadly the ballpark these conversations happen in yeah the pmc nda prevents me from confirming or denying but i wouldn't um i wouldn't say you're very far off <laughs> but yeah i can't i can't give you sure. any, any any extra to comment and then a few other plans you've got include uh an awards um the variety brand and and a power list as well yeah um again learning from what we're doing with rolling stone and our other brands um, our events business is a meaningful part of our revenue growth. So um, we see the variety brand as something that both consumers and trade are going to really resonate with. And that gives us um, a massive opportunity in events. And so we have a lot of plans for next year and over the next five years on how we're going to grow the variety events business. Now, um, you're, you, you've mentioned a couple of times Poppy Reed, who leads the editorial output. I, I was watching a video stream she did a few weeks back um, uh, for the Australian Institute of Music, where she talked about how you recruited her and how when you told her your plans for the company in the first place, uh, she thought you were crazy. Um, how did you change her mind? Um. I don't know. I actually tried to talk her out of taking the job, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I was like, look, we might be bankrupt in six months. I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, I just, I was really nervous because she had, it's very hard to get a senior journalist job in music. You know, all she ever wants to do in her life is, um, is write in music. Um, and she had an incredible trade job. And I was like, you're going to leave that 
security and come to me. Like, I don't know what, what the hell I'm doing. But I think um, she was just, she's really driven by professional development and growth. Um, and I think she felt like she sort of hit a ceiling where she was at and she thought it was worth the risk to come over. Um, I think actually, I do know the answer. What she said to me was, um, if I come over and you go and we go bankrupt in six months, I will have learned more in that six months than five more years where I am. So she thought it was, she rolled the dice. I'm so grateful she did. I could like, there's so much of this business that wouldn't exist without her. Like she runs the whole place. Um, I am, yeah, I'm just forever grateful that she took that chance and how committed she is to the business. Well, she also said in that chat that you want her to be the CEO. Uh, so what's the timeline for that? Um, I don't know if she still, I, I, I wanted to give her the option. I don't know if she still has those kind of ambitions now. I think she's just fair, really found her groove as, as an editor in chief. And I think she's also learned a lot of the bullshit CEOs have to do, which she might not want to <laughs> deal with. So I don't know. I guess that's an evolving thing. You have to ask her that maybe in a different interview. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's something that I was kicking around with her back in the day for sure. And you've obviously got your own appetite for entrepreneurialism beyond um, Brad Media as well. Lamppost Capital, that's something else that you've done, which is it's a fund for making investments in, 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 in startups. Um, what's... What's the model of Lamppost? That is a um, – this is something I'm actually really excited about and um, and has a really interesting story. So our talent management division manages a creator by by the name of Simone Yatch. She's based in LA. She's the largest female STEM creator on the planet. So she's got this enormous YouTube following. She's an inventor. She creates inventions and puts them on a channel, ends up on late shows, etc. Um, a big fan of Simone – is Alexis Ohanian, who is the Reddit founder, um, and he also happens to be married to Serena Williams, the tennis player. And when he was in Australia, I went down to Melbourne and had coffee with him and we're swapping notes about what he's doing and what I'm doing and all of that. And he had the idea of um, basically anchoring a fund that Simone and I would start. So he, he basically said, well, look, why don't you and Simone start a fund together? I will anchor it. I'll put in 500000 um, you can make it a million dollar fund and uh, raise another five hundred thousand on top of that, so it's a million dollar fund. And go out and see if you can find some incredible founders and support them to their success. Um, obviously, the appeal is that Simone—I mean, she's a genius. Like she's a lot smarter than me at a lot of things, um, both creatively as well as you know in terms of all the inventions she does. Like she, in terms of products, she's amazing. Um, but she also has this incredible creative brain. I always said if she wasn't. If she wasn't a creator herself, she'd be, you know, an executive at a creative agency or something. Um, So she's a genius in that sense. And then obviously I've got a lot of experience building businesses and um, we have a really big media business here that could be very helpful to founders. So um, those two things combined, we go out and we try, Simone and I try and find founders we love building incredible products that we think can go on to be icons of their industry um you know the the apple of whatever they're doing or the tesla of whatever they're doing and you know very early stage like pre-revenue just building a product like is there something here that could be incredible and if we both believe in it then we'll bet on it and we'll, we'll, we'll use our fund to invest in the company it's not huge investments so million dollar funds write checks of anything between you know 10 to fifty thousand. so you know it's not going to um it's not going to change anyone's life, but what we're saying is, hey, let us put a little bit of money in um, and then also let us help you. Um, and that's what I think 
that's the value I think we can add. So it's more about the help we give than the money that we give. But And, and how many investments have you made so far? We have made three investments so far, um, two in the creator economy, one um, which is a company called Novel, whose slogan is um, the Shopify for NFT should just be on Shopify, and they built a product to be able to just sell and create and buy NFTs in an incredibly user-friendly way. Uh, the other one is Fourth Wall, which is like a Shopify competitor, but specifically built for creators. So Simone uses Fourth Wall because they're an unbelievable product herself, um, and the biggest creators in the world use them. Um, and then the last one is this company called Kana. Um, I can explain it to you quickly, but you won't believe it. Um, so everyone should just look it up. It is a drink printing machine that prints any drink you want in your kitchen um, with just pl- putting in some water. Um, it'll print beer, wine, coffee, juice, energy drinks. It is the most incredible futuristic thing I've ever seen. It will be bigger than the iPhone if they pull this off. And we've put a bet on that. <laughs> And these bets are not necessarily Australian companies. They could be global companies. Yeah, those three are all American. Yeah. Interesting. Do you do you see opportunities for investing within Australia? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been meeting with Australian founders like all the time. We haven't we haven't um, made an investment yet, but I, I really I really want to. So if there's any Australian founders out there that send me an email, I'm very easy to find, and I'd love to hear what you're working on. And let's um, let's go back to variety and, and 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 brag. And I suppose this as well. How do you think about managing conflict? And I suppose like where I come at this from is, I presume that you know variety must have some pretty strict rules given their their, their own excellent editorial reputation. Yet. The music industry, it sort of often feels the, you know, the the person who, you know, reps an artist might also, uh, you know, have a have have more fingers in the pie as well. So, when you kind of think about that sort of pure editorial model of years gone by, um, is that just out of date now? Uh, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm very new to this industry, so I don't actually have much of a reference on what it was like back in the day. Um, we have just come into it like where we feel like there's a conflict. So we're managing, we're managing Simone Yatch and she's about to release a huge product line, uh, product business. Uh, we take it to the editorial team. If it's something that they would write about, they write about it. Um, if it's not, then we need to book a campaign. And so we book a campaign through the system like we would any other client. I mean, the record labels spend with us all the time um, to promote artists so, you know, my brother has a record label. When he wants to run a, run a campaign with us, he runs the campaign like everybody else. Um, so that's the kind of way I think people can overthink it. Um, we, we just operate with our own stuff like we would anybody else and we follow the editorial rules of whatever that publication is. Understood. And where do you go from here? Is it more verticals within the wider entertainment vertical? Is it doing the same again in another country? Um, what are you What are you thinking about for the next stage of growth? The immediate next stage of growth is um, if you go onto the Brag Media web- website, you'll see all the buckets in which we do work, um, and that is all about that is basically to fulfil our mission to be ubiquitous with Australian culture. So, what does that mean? That means where people are. You know, if people go to events, we need to be doing events. So growing our events business is a big focus of ours and it's something that we've had a lot of success with over the last year. 
um, growing our publishing business, continuing to grow the network. Um, we now reach 8 million Australians every month, which is 32% of the Australian population. How do we get to 50%? That is something that we're thinking about. Um, we have a creative agency. We have a media agency where we help. You know, when I say media agency, it's not you know to compete with the existing media agencies out there. But there are a lot of people that need you know, um, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't you know Coca Cola that need you know like we, we're working with Send for example, a grocery company, helping them. We help them with all their outdoor buying and all of that sort of stuff when they first launched. Um, just because they're a startup and they needed another startup business to help them, <laughs> and we had a lot of levers to pull. Um, so we, we help them there. Um, and then we also um, are launching a consumer app um, to help people find gigs, go to gigs um, and, you know, make the live music industry a lot more prosperous coming out of COVID. So, you know, there's a lot of levers that we're pulling there um, and that's our immediate growth. It's certainly not an international ambition yet. And um, just touching on that sort of uh, being of Australian culture, um, you, you were reported as one of the interested parties in Junkie when that was for sale, when our media was selling that. Now, that went to the Rakat group in the end. Um, did you come close to, uh, to, to, to buying that, do you know? Yeah, well, look, um, depends on how you define close. We were one of the last couple, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess, I guess, Rakat in the end, it, it came out. They paid two point five million for it. Um, I, I guess was your bid anywhere near that? I, it was. A, we had a seven figure bid, um, but I wouldn't say it was near that. So, but, but, but that's not to say it wasn't worth that. I think the Junkie brand's really good, and we were really looking at it seriously, but. There were a couple of things that prevented us from getting to that level, which I think it's worth that for sure. Like I think it's probably worth more than that if I'm being honest. Um, we didn't get up to that level because we, as you saw, we announced two other acquisitions at the time. So there was an opportunity cost there and we thought we could get a faster growth out of the other two acquisitions than Junkie. And two, Junkie was sincerely like very different to what we were currently doing. I mean, they do news, like they do politics. We don't touch that. We touch at the moment, we're all geared up for passion points, gaming, music, film. Um, we're very deliberately not doing any hard news, any politics, any of that stuff. If, it, if we do touch it, it's because it intersects with an artist or a film star or whatever. So it was a huge deviation in our content focus. Um, and we also had two other acquisitions that were distracting us at the time. So um, that, that, that explains, I think, why we didn't, why we didn't follow through there. Well, Luke, best of luck with Variety and thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Tim. Today's podcast was produced with the support of Abe's Audio. More soon. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.